This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Uh, tonight on the show, we're going to speak to Kieran Larwood, um, who will be talking to us about all the things reading. Um, everything to do with uh, reading habits, children's literature. I'm looking forward to a good night on Teachers Talk Radio. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio with Sean Mackay, your host, and tonight we're talking to Kieran Larwood, who the award-winning author of the Podkin One Ear series about school libraries, reading, and everything in between. Uh, good evening, Kieran. How are you? Hi, hello. I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for asking me on. That's right. It's fantastic to have you here. Uh, so to start off with, uh, could you tell us, uh, or, uh, reader, uh, listeners, sorry, a little bit about yourself? Um, yes. So I, um, I used to work as a teacher, I worked as a reception teacher um, here on the Isle of Wight for 15 years. Um, and mm. then um, I began writing uh, children's stories. I started off trying to write uh, picture books, um, but I found okay. that I just had the writing bug. I uh, love writing stories, and like 10 years ago now, uh, my first book was published, um, yeah. and uh, that was called, um, it was Connor of the Lost, it was called The Peculiars when it first came out, and a few years after that, I wrote, wrote Podkin, and then that did really well, um, and now I, I'm a full-time writer, so I, I managed to um, make enough out of writing to, to give up teaching about five years ago. Oh, fantastic. That's brilliant. Um, I think. Um, do you, do you miss teaching at all? Do you think, or are you just like, no, I don't miss teaching at all. <laughs> uh, I miss. I miss working with the children, obviously, and I miss. Um, I miss. We had a really nice school, like a very small school, very close staff. So I miss all of that. Um, I don't miss all the paperwork yeah. and all the kind of government interference and everything else. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I can certainly <laughs> empathise with that one. Um, so let's start then with the first question, which is, uh, when you were a child, um, looking back um, uh, that long ago, the same as me, uh, what sort of kind of books did you read and kind of why did you like those sorts of books? Um, I was I was a, a quite an early reader. Um, but back mm -hmm. in those days, there wasn't a lot of uh, children's fiction around. It was mostly just Enid Blyton. I think she had a kind of monopoly on all the children's books. Um, but then one yeah. day... Um, I st it's one of my kind of very early memories. I still remember going to my parents' bookshelf um, and finding yeah. a copy of The Hobbit and just opening it up and oh, seeing okay. the map inside of Middle Earth. And that was it then. I was gone. <laughs> I was just a, a complete fancy addict. So, yeah, I, I just loved reading you know, um, Tolkien and Ursula Le Guin and anything fancy I could get my hands on, like the Box of Delights, things like that. 
Fabulous. Uh, I, I can also remember reading um, The Hobbit as a child and certainly uh, the Enid Blyton books were some of my favourite. Um, we didn't have many books in our house, so we had to have something called the, the book bus. I don't know whether you uh, had the book bus uh, where you were, but it used to be a travelling library that used to come round and we used to go to that all the time. Yeah, I used to go to our village library a lot. Yeah, I used to spend a lot of time in there. Um, yeah, getting books every week. <laughs> so... Um, with the hobbit um was it did you read the hobbit a lot when you were a kid what other books other than uh, maybe uh, the hobbit did you read um yeah i read i read it i've read it multiple times and and lord of the rings as well mm-hmm. um yeah. and then any anything that anything remotely kind of fantasy related i loved um ursula Le Guin's ursi books um okay the, the dark is rising and all of that series oh yeah um, yeah the Box of Delights, and there was a book called, uh, well, my favourite book was called The Hounds of the Morian um, by Pat O'Shea, um, which is a, like an amazing oh, cool. kind of fantasy set in Ireland with all the Irish mythology and everything. Okay. Um, yeah, anything that had remotely had dragons or, or fantasy or anything like that, I would just um, snap it up and devour it. <laughs> Brilliant. Right, so... Um... So when you were at school, when you were a child, um, and in terms of reading and in terms of your library, what was school like for you? Did it have a large library? Did you uh, use it a lot? Or did you find that, um, like today with, with, the, with the budget constraints that are on libraries, that it was um, not very big and there was a, a limited choice? Or was it a, a good library for you? Uh, I was really lucky, actually, because all the schools I went to had like a an actual designated library with a with a librarian. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember spending a lot of time in there. I mean, I mean the books probably were probably quite dated, I'd, I'd imagine. Um, but I still <laughs> found lots of lots of favourites that I liked. You know, like um, the Phantom Tollbooth. I remember reading that in the school library, and yeah, yeah, and lots of um, uh, um, lots of fairy old fairy tale books with the Arthur Rackham illustrations. I used to love those, and the Moomin books. Yeah, so um, <laughs> in high school they had a really good library as well. Um, I remember the mm-hmm. library high school being massive, probably quite small <laughs> if I went back, but it seemed massive. Um, yeah. And they'd order books in for you. So, yeah, I was I was really lucky, actually, yeah. that the school libraries were really, really good. Yeah, I mean, it was the same as our library. Um, it was, I can always remember it, as, as yourself, I suppose, it was because we were slightly smaller than we are now, just walking into the library and it just seemed to have really high walls full of books. Um, yeah. Not many people used the library, to be fair, where I, when I was um, a child, but it was a, a, a very, quite a rough inner city school. So um, most kids were just outside <laughs> doing other things uh-huh. other than coming into the library, which was quite good for me. What, what about your school library was a lots of people that used it or was were you on your own sitting just kind of reading in there um a bit like you i guess it was for the kind of shall we say the more introverted people don't want to say people, <laughs> yes. but yeah um yeah it was the ones who didn't want to run around and play football so you used, used to go in there quite a lot especially if it was raining and um yeah and just and just sit and read i think they had they had like chess a chess club in there and all sorts of uh, board games and things like that you could sit and do just at a, a kind of quieter place um, so it was really mm-hmm. nice for me because cool. I was yeah definitely not one of the, the lads who wanted to go around kicking the football and punching each other. <laughs> to be fair, I was also one of the kids that, that liked going around playing football. I did both. Um, but it was always nice once, especially when it was raining, you can always go into the library because there wasn't many people there. So we could just sit there and just read. Uh, it was quite nice. I remember our 
um, librarian being someone that, that this um, old white haired woman and she just used to sit there and look at you as you were walking around. And I just used to think she thought I was trying to steal the books or something. But, you know, <laughs> um, we live and learn. <laughs> um, so. Yes, it, it was definitely, especially, um, it. I mean, it's not like today. I mean, the library at the, the school that I go to at the minute, I mean, we try to be quiet, but um, it's, it's, we try to make it much more inviting. But I certainly remember the librarian just following you, the eyes followed everywhere. It was like one of those paintings that even if she wasn't looking in your direction, you could see that she was watching you. Um, <laughs> but then again, right uh so going back to actually something that you said earlier and for our next question um is your favorite book uh and you talked about the fact that it was one to do with irish mythology what 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 is your favorite book can you tell us what it is and tell us a little bit about it um maybe the author was and why you loved it so much um yeah, I think I, yeah, I'll talk about Hounds of the Moran because everyone knows The Hobbit. But Hounds of the Moran is, is a book that kind of, um, I think, has, has gone under the radar and now it's a bit lost in time, I think. But it's an absolute classic. Um, it was by an author called Pat O'Shea. And sadly, it was the yeah. only um, the only book she, she wrote. I think she was working on the sequel um, when she passed away. Um, oh, dear. Yeah. So, but it's a, a beautiful book. It's about a young boy who lives in um, Galway in Ireland. Um and him and his sister kind of get drawn into this world of um, Irish mythology. It's got all the all the all the Irish gods and goddesses in there, um, and they get taken mm. to the to the, like, the other world, which is like the Irish um, where all the, the legends live, and Cuchulain, and 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 they get hunted by the Morian and the Hound, and there's all sorts of magic goings on. But it's never it's never kind of terrifying. There's always like a charming mm. edge, edge to it, an atmosphere to it, um, and it's just beautifully written and. Yeah, it just absolutely captured my imagination, and um, uh, ever since then I've been like fascinated by Irish mythology, and um, and, and I used to love drawing the, the Celtic knotworks, the symbols, and everything like that. <laughs> yeah, um, and the Book of Kells and everything. Yeah, so it's just a really charming, wonderful book. I read, I read several times all through my childhood, and I read to my own children as well. Um, yeah, yeah, it deserves to be much better known than it is, I think. Absolutely. Um, it sounds like a wonderful book. It might be one that I'll try to look up. It's probably one that's out of print at the minute, so it might be in some secondhand bookshop somewhere. But hopefully I'll I'll try and find it for our library. It sounds fascinating. With all of the maps, uh, just going on aside a, a for a minute, because you, you talked about the illustrations that were in uh, the book and, and the um, ones that were in um, uh, the, uh, the Hobbit one. Um, is that because you also illustrate as well. Um, so I was just wondering whether or not, um, was it the maps and the drawings in the books that you saw as kids that made you want to also be an illustrator as well? Um, oh, yeah, I, love, I mean, I love a book with a map in the front. I used to sit and, and draw my own maps, and, I, and yeah, absolutely love it. Um, but I think the, th the thing that made me want to, to draw was I used to love reading uh, comic books as well. I used to read um, one called 2000 oh, yeah. AD. Uh, I'm not sure if it's still going or not, <laughs> but um, yeah, I used to get that every week. Uh, I remember 2008. Yeah, I loved it. And I used to copy all the pictures. So uh, yeah, all, all through high school <laughs> and growing up, I wanted to be a, a comic book artist. Um, yeah. I mean, to be fair, I was also, I was also a big Beano and Dandy fan. Um, every week we used to get those ones as well. Um, some cracking ones. Um, uh, so um, 
Are there have you read any more um, books in terms of Greek um, uh, Irish mythology um, that you you've really liked, or have you expanded on that when you were a child as well? Like I know that there's a Percy Jackson ones, Jackson ones that deal with uh, kind of Greek mythology now. Um, so, were there any other books that you've read uh, since uh, Pat O'Shea's book that um, you've liked and enjoyed? Um, not, I didn't know a lot about Irish mythology. Well, not, not at the time. Um, yeah. I mean, since then, I've got on to read. I like um, Neil Gaiman's an amazing book about Norse mythology. Yeah. Um, with all the Norse myths, uh, and then yeah, loads of. I mean, fantasy is really heavily influenced by um, Norse and Celtic mythology, isn't it? So yeah, a lot of the books I read, kind of, you can pick up elements. Um, that are in there definitely oh cool okay fantastic so we're just going to go then uh, for a very short break and then i'll be back with you in a second to talk about diversity and litera i'll be back in a second teaching is a rewarding profession but it comes with its fair share of challenges that's where adapt come in we're not your typical trade union but instead a modern apolitical alternative offering expert legal employment and mental health support protection without the politics. So what makes EDAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at adapt.org.uk today. Adapt. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. Right, and welcome back to the show with award-winning author Kieran Larwood talking about everything reading. Um, so we've just left uh, and Kieran's favourite book was about Pat O'Shea. Um, and my next question is kind of one that's that's kind of taken part in the news very recently, especially with the the kind of um, the stuff that's going on with LGBTQ plus and Black Lives Matters. Um, do you think that um, kind of children's literature today has enough uh, kind of diversity um not not just kind of uh, with authors and and characters as well kind of with uh, obviously different race uh, gender religion lgbtq plus um or, or kind of do we need more of that coming through as well do you think um i mean i think it's come on a long way especially in the last you know 10 years since i've been writing um just the awareness is, is definitely there um and i think lots of writers try they understand that you know children need to be able to see themselves in, in their literature and the stories, and so they yeah. make sure they include a diverse range of characters. Um, and there's lots of um, kind of movements going forward to kind of um, promote and find new authors from different backgrounds. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's come on a long way, and it's it's still developing. But obviously, there's still a long way to go. I mean, um, if you look at the, the kind of the authors that they are at the moment, most of them are predominantly sort of white middle class authors, you know. Yeah. But I think the, the, the problems are more, um, more to do than the problems you need to in society, aren't they? You need to have kind of access to, to certain things to become a writer. You need a um, sort of higher level of education. You need a job with some kind mm -hmm. of, some amount of spare time for you to actually write in and, um, you yeah. know, support with like writing groups and things like that. So there's still. I think quite a lot of work still to be done, but um, yeah, I think we're kind of moving in the right direction uh, gradually. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it certainly from one of the, if I can remember going back to what we said earlier about libraries and school libraries, certainly there were 
absolutely no kind of LGBTQ plus uh, novels when I was a kid. It was just it was it was literally just you know white authors and um, and straight authors. I mean, you had obviously pseudonyms uh, for some of the authors from way back when, but um, now we have the likes of of people like. Um, uh, on Jolly Rove, uh, for instance, talking about uh, um, uh, people living on the streets and and people that are in there and in schools, um, and how people can turn their lives around, and also talking about kind of LGBT LGBTQ plus issues. We also have kind of BB uh, Alston. I think was just come up with the um, the book whose name has just <laughs> gone out of my mind. Um, but, but with um, a kind of a female black kind of character lead, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. Um, but I mean, in, in terms of um, uh, reading yourself, have you read any um, uh, books uh, with like, kind of um, uh, black authors, LGBTQ authors or characters that you've really enjoyed? Um, my daughter's really enjoying the Heartstopper uh, graphic novels, um, so I've been reading those with yep, her. Yep. Um, yeah, she loves those, and obviously was, there's, there's a Netflix series as well, I think, isn't there? Um, yes, there is. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think now. <laughs> I know. A, it's, it's, I know there was. By, um, there was... I mean, I know that there's, there's certainly one I read, which was called My Father and, and the Rainbow, I think it is, which is where um, a child, it's a, from a child's perspective, where their father comes out as uh, kind of being gay and their parents are split up. And it's about how they, kind of how that child deals with that. Um, and there's also, and I'm trying to remember, because there was an actress as well that uh, talked about, um, um, talking of diverse, obviously, with um, with someone that stutters. Um, and that's that book. I come. It's it's uh, the funniest person on earth, or, or or something like that. I can't remember, specifically remember. But um, I also found that good because we had a couple of kids that stutter in our school, um, and that's one of the greatest things is is having kids kind of read these stories and and have it kind of relate to them. Um, so going on from that, then. Um, and obviously we'll, we might come back to that because I'm sure that there'll be some more authors that, that you and I remember that we can come back to yeah. at that point. Um, so do you think children's uh, literature, again, kind of coming back to kind of past and future and how schools are, are, are different and libraries are different, do you think that children's literature is uh, kind of better than it was now, than while it was a child? I mean, certainly in times, maybe in, in terms of vocabulary, the amount of books that there are, kind of um, the different genres of book that, that ch children can actually access nowadays. Um, what do you think? Do you think better or just different? Um, oh, immeasurably better. I mean, it's incredible at the moment, the amount of, mm -hmm. I mean, the sheer amount of books that, that kind of come out, um, are at middle grade, so that I'm going to keep an eye on what's being released. But yeah, it's just, and there must be, there must be thousands every year, <laughs> just um, yeah. and of all different genres, there's science fiction and fantasy, um, mm -hmm. horror, there's quite been quite a few kind of horror ones coming out lately and just things you wouldn't expect. Um yeah, and if you walk into a like a bookshop or Waterstones or whatever, mm -hmm. and, you, and you look at the, the children's section now, I mean, it used to be just a, yeah. a, a couple of shelves, but it, they're they're like kind of, <laughs> they're like whole sections, aren't they? Um, and yeah. the tables just kind of overflowing with with new books, and uh, and the promotion's really good as well. They have like kind of yeah, books of the month and lots of awards and things. 
um mm -hmm. yeah it's it's incredible i mean i remember you know kind of struggling to find books to read when i was a child but yeah the yeah. choice is just just incredible at the moment um yeah and as you say lots lots of different more diverse books coming in as well so there's you know it's not just the kind of typical um you know fantasy adventures or and it, there's all sorts of different types of stories they can read and access and, and you know and mm. see themselves in them as well which i think is really really important yeah. Um, also, the other thing, um, uh, when it comes to children's literature in the past, one of the things that I saw the other day is I I, I found a book, a Ladybird book um, from 1982, mm -hmm. which is a book that I had, I didn't even realise I actually had. Um, and, and I compared, I took it to school and compared it to the same book. Uh, and the, the vocabulary in the 1982 version was much higher than the one um, that's just been published recently, about a couple of years ago. Um do you think, I mean, this is just going off the, the track in terms of this a minute, but is do you think that, that um, children's literature in terms of vocabulary has um, slightly gone downhill in terms of the amount of vocabulary? Or do you just think that, um, that, that children are um, that reading text messages too much? Do you think the, the vocabulary is high enough nowadays? Or do you think kind of are we dumbing books down do you think it's a difficult one isn't it so yeah if you do if you pick mm. a book a, a, a children's book from like the 70s 80s yeah the vocabulary is completely different um and partly i think i don't maybe i mean it's a different generation isn't it completely and, and they have things that we did, didn't have to contend with at all i mean they do have you have to kind of grab children's attention right from the get-go now and you know yeah. if, if they, they're bored for a millisecond there's a there's a thousand other things they can be doing on you know their, their playstations their consoles and their their phones or whatever um so you've got to kind of really grab and hold their attention uh and i yeah. think if you do you if you do try and i mean there's a school of thought that you, you put kind of more complex vocabulary in so that you expand their vocabulary when they're reading but also what you're doing mm. is you're kind of i think of it like when you what you, ideally what you want to do is you want to capture their imagination so they're completely lost in the story yeah. And they don't even have to kind of think they're consciously reading. They're just completely there with you experiencing the story. Mm -hmm. But then if they hit a, a, a word they don't understand and it, and it ruins the context of the sentence and they have to go and look it up in the dictionary or ask somebody, you've kind of jolted mm -hmm. them out of that, that world, haven't you? So, yeah. you know, I think, I think it's better to kind of, it's more important to hold their attention and, and have them reading than, you know, kind mm -hmm. of try and fit in as many um, huge words as you can to kind of develop their vocabulary. <laughs> um, yeah. No, 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 yeah, that, that, that's brilliant, yeah, um, because it, it does, I mean, I must admit, I mean, obviously, we were readers when we were children, but um, with the with phones nowadays and the amount of different things that do hold their attention, I absolutely agree with you, I think, grabbing that attention, as long as they're reading, um, and it, 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 lots of people would disagree with this, but if they're reading something, it's better than reading nothing, and to have one's um, a vocabulary that's going to hold their attention and keep them in that story, I think, is is a great thing. Um, so the uh, next question then uh, to you is um, a, a very quick question, actually, but it might have a more complex answer. Um, would you rather have a, uh, in a, maybe in a school library or in your library, would you rather have a paper book, an e-reader or both? Oh, um, I mean, I do, I do have a Kindle, um, which is yeah. great if I'm, I'm traveling. Um, and sometimes you can pick up, you know, some quite good book deals on there, can't you? And 
and things like that. Um, yep. But personally, I'd I mean, I always I love to have a book in my hands. There's something I think there's something quite tactile about it, isn't there? And the smell of a book and the feel of yeah. the pages. Um, yes, yeah, so I would I would go for um, paperback or hardback books every time. But then again, you know, mm. uh, that's what I've grown up with, isn't it? And um, that's what we were used to. So I don't know. I mean, I think look at my own children. <laughs> If, if something's going to screen, they'll watch it, whatever it is. Even some of the, you know, the rubbish yeah. they watch on YouTube. Um, yeah. Just because it's on a screen, they'll they'll look at it. So maybe e-readers, I don't know, they might, um, just because it's on an e-reader on a screen, they might want to be more like, inclined to read it. So I think, yeah, you need both, I guess. Um, yeah, but personally, I, I, I prefer books every time. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I I also have both. I have um, a, a Kindle on my phone as well. I think you can get a Kindle anywhere now. Um, I think that the one thing that I found um, is that because my um, daughter um, also has a Kindle on her phone, but what generally tends to happen is when she's reading, if she gets a notification or if she gets a text message, then generally that kind of cuts through anything that she's reading because the text message or the um, Snapchat alert or the Instagram kind of thing takes precedence over it. She just clicks uh, on it and then she's on it for the next 20 minutes um, or maybe an hour before she comes back to that reader. Um also, do you think that I mean when I when I first got a Kindle, this it had like a, a grey screen. Um, I don't know whether you've your Kindle's upgraded to the kind of the white one, but um, I didn't. I don't know whether when I have a Kindle in my hand, it's nowhere near. Even the Kindle white, the the paper white one, doesn't seem as nice as a book. Um, I don't know which one yours is. Yeah, I've got uh, yeah the paper white one. Yeah, it's 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 like backlit, so you can yeah, and you can you can read it at night, I suppose, which is good, isn't it? Without straining your eye too much. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as my um as my eyesight kind of <laughs> gradually degrades, I can <laughs> blow the text up a little bit <laughs> just to help me out. But um, yeah, yeah I you can't can... sniff a Kindle, can you? So. <laughs> no. No, you can't. And the smell of a book is certainly something that's extremely distinctive. Um, not that we sound very weird at the moment going around Waterstone sniffing the book just to see whether <laughs> or not we like the book. Um, and I suppose also the other thing is with the book, you get these wonderful illustrations like like yours, well, like the Podkin series is um, so these wonderful illustrations on the front and they can give you this kind of this first burst of kind of excitement about reading it. Um, do you find that as well? Um. Yeah, they don't look the same on the Kindle, do the illustrations, and you can't kind of, yeah, it's not it's not the same, is it, as, as being able to kind of really pour over them, and, and the quality's not there, and yeah, they're very small. Um, my books, I've got, uh, I'm very lucky to have an amazing illustrator called David Wyatt, and he does these lovely, uh, like, double-page spreads, um, yeah. it's absolutely packed with details, and you can, you know, sit and look at them for hours and spot all the little things. Every time you look at it, you spot something else, you add it in, um, which you wouldn't be able to see on a, on a screen, I don't think. So definitely for yeah yeah absolutely real books are the best well. yeah uh, the other thing um, I suppose I, I haven't put on there I mean obviously we we have Kindles in our library we also have books but we also have um, devices to listen to you do you uh, have uh, kind of something like Audible or uh, maybe uh, CD players with discs in if you do you listen to to stories as well or are you just kind of a reader or e reader person. Yeah, I've I've tried I've tried um, audio books, but yeah, they're, they're they're not for me. I don't think I like to be able to. I mean, I'm quite a fast reader, I think, and <clears throat> so I like to be able to set my own pace. Whereas you're always at the pace of the the, the, the narrator, aren't you? Or you? 
if you can speed it up, but mm. then it just sounds like a Smurf reading it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I've, I've tried it, but they're, they're not for me. I know some people like can put them on and or they do the housework or the gardening and stuff like that maybe, but yeah, I, I prefer to sit and read my books really and have my own internal narrator going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, to be fair, I do, I do like e-readers. I listen to it on the car in the morning as I'm driving to school. Um, so at the minute I'm, I'm reading the wheel of time series or rather I'm listening to the wheel of time series. Um, but I do oh, wow. understand what you mean about the narrator's pace um, because I didn't like the people who were reading it when I start, first started reading it. But now I can't actually, I couldn't imagine anyone else narrating it for me. If they changed the author halfway through the set of books for the Wheel of Time series, I think I'd I'd probably phone in and complain to Audible. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go now uh, to the news. Uh, so I'm going to talk to you again in about eight minutes once the news is finished. So we'll be back after this. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is considering significant reform of air levels in England, which, according to the BBC, could see the introduction of what it calls a new British baccalaureate. The PM's plans could include the compulsory study of maths and English up to the age of 18, as reported in the Daily Telegraph. It's not the first time Mr Sunak has considered a shake-up, having previously said during an unsuccessful leadership campaign last year that he wanted all young people to study maths to 18. Foreign Office Minister Andrew Mitchell told BBC Radio 4 that he expects Mr Sunak to agree to reform of the education system and said the government will be guided by the best expertise on how we ratchet up standards. Concern about any proposed changes have already been raised by unions and other post-16 professional associations, particularly around the existing issues of recruitment, retention and concerns around workload. A spokesperson for the Sixth Form Colleges Association said the post-16 curriculum was narrow by international standards and this was partly reflective of chronic underinvestment in sixth form education since 2010. The BBC also features an article on the fall in numbers of students being accepted into universities in the UK, the first fall in five years. Applications also fell after demand rose during the pandemic. Fewer students got into their first choice of university this year, but more qualified for their second choice are accepted places through clearing. 
The new data from UCAS shows 270,350 UK 18-year-olds were accepted onto a course this year, down from 275,390 in 2022. UCAS says the figures show a return to normal growth following the surge of demand seen during the pandemic. Data for individual universities is not yet available. Last week on Teachers Talk Radio News, we featured reaction to the latest data published on suspensions and exclusions. In a linked story, Schools Week has published further analysis, this time focusing on data from schools linked to incoming Ofsted Chief Inspector Sir Martin Oliver. The analysis reported in the article suggests the Outwood Grange Academy's Trust secondaries excluded twice as many pupils as other schools in some of their regions. At a pre-appointment hearing before the Education Committee last month, Sir Martin was challenged by MPs over the Trust's high suspension rates. Sir Martin responded, Our figures for permanent exclusions are lower than most in the areas in which we work. Schools Week says the data for the Trust's 13 secondary schools in Yorkshire and Humber had a 0.31 exclusion rate, the equivalent of three in every 1,000 pupils compared to 0.17 across the region's other secondaries. In the North East, the Trust 7 secondaries had a rate of 0.64, compared to 0.3 in others. Kim Johnson, the only committee MP to vote against the appointment of Sir Martin, said he should be brought back to answer for his words. Frank Norris, an education advisor for the Northern Powerhouse Partnership, said the original comments could be viewed as misleading. A trust spokesperson told Schools Week that Sir Martin was comparing exclusion rates between some individual outward schools to some of the other schools in the same local authorities with similar profiles. The spokesperson also added that the schools had been underperforming for years and had now been transformed by the trust. More details of the Schools Week analysis and full commentary can be found online. In Ireland, the Irish Independent reports on what it calls radical changes in how students are assessed as being on the way in a move to combat the threat of AI platforms such as ChatGPT. Higher education colleges are already being told to abandon certain forms of assessment because they are no longer sufficiently robust to award scores which count towards official grades. They include do-at-home assignments or essays, unsupervised online assessments, and multiple choice quizzes which are conducted online. There will be greater reliance on oral assessments to check understanding and systems to identify if students have cheated by using AI. However, colleges are being told to resist any temptation to switch back to traditional end of semester formal exams. Instead, they should consider short-term reweighting of assessments whilst they formulate a long-term plan. Finally, this week saw Education Secretary Jane Keegan comment in the House of Commons that children she had visited in schools affected by poor quality concrete, known as RAC, had been petitioning me to stay in the porter cabin because they preferred it to the actual classroom. Ms Keegan's comments were met with derision by many, saying it showed a chronic lack of understanding of the poor quality facilities schools had been using for many years particularly since the cancellation of the project to rebuild many schools. However, Downing Street defended the comments, saying it reflected a conversation with children and that the department and leaders had worked hard to make sure children had been unaffected by the current challenge.
This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. And welcome back to uh, the Late Late Show with Sean Mackay, talking tonight with Kieran Larwood, author of the Podkin One Ear series. So, Kieran, welcome back again. So, um, just, I don't know whether you listened to any of that news. I'm just wondering what, um, because there's one part that, that that kind of caught my attention in that, and that was the kind of the chat GPT, um, the AI revolution. Uh, there's lots of stuff in the news at the minute about um, kind of people using chat GPT GPT and, and Bard AI to kind of write and to, to publish novels. Um, have you heard of that? What do, what do you think of that at the moment? Um, I haven't heard them using it for entire novels. That's that's a new one. Um, that's a bit worrying, isn't it? I'll be out of a yes. job. But, um, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know how. I'm sure. I mean, they can mimic um, certain writers' styles, I suppose. But when it comes to kind yeah. of creating a novel... I mean that I don't think they can actually replicate that. That you know, you need to have that kind of those leaps of intuition and, and then that imagination, which I think hopefully, <laughs> hopefully is a human thing, not a, not an artificial intelligence. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's all all a bit worrying. Yeah, I mean certainly the one of the things that that's been worrying in school is is. Uh, children using chat gpt and bard ai to kind of write some of their homework for them um and to do other things um but you know it's 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 getting bigger and it's kind of for, for teachers it's kind of where does it stop um i suppose the big thing is you can't take G, chat gpt into an exam with you so it isn't going to be that big of an issue i suppose um so getting on to back to school libraries um what so if you had an unlimited budget and you were going to choose some books to fill up your library or school library uh, or your children's school library, um, what books and what, what authors would you have in your kind of ideal school library? And I may um, blatantly ask you to repeat some of them, because if I think I'm going to have to have that in my school library because I haven't heard of it before, then I might ask you to repeat what it is. But um, so the ideal library, what what would you have in it? Um, well, first of all, I think I would have a, a mixture of um, kind of the classics, um, older stuff, yeah. obviously, you know, things like Roald Dahl and, and, and that, which you, you have anyway. Um, I think you need some of yeah. that, but then also, I mean, like we were saying earlier on, there's so many new books out there. So, and I would, if it was unlimited budget, then that's a chance to kind of, yeah, really stock the shelves with some of the high quality um, <laughs> yeah. books that are out there. Um, trying to think of all, all the, the books I've really enjoyed. Um, I love Sophie Anderson's books, The House of Chicken Legs. Um, oh, Chicken yes. Bear. Great books. Um, mm. uh, M.G. Leonard, who's done The Beetle Boy. Uh, series and the the Twitch series, um, yeah. and adventures on on trains or mysteries on trains. Um, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love uh, Emma Carroll. She does historical fiction. Her books are amazing. Um, mm-hmm. I love. Well, I've uh, never heard of Emma Jane. Carroll. Oh, she's done. Um, uh, so her most popular one, I think, is called Letters to the Lighthouse. It's um, right. set in World War Two. Yeah, it's just a great book. All of all the books are amazing, really well researched, and really kind of capture the, the periods they're set in. Um, yeah, I love. Oh, I've just recently read uh, Jamie Littler's new book. I love his books. He's um, he's Frost Heart is his his main series. He's done a new one called Arc Spire. Oh, uh, um, yeah. 
and he illustrates those himself. He's an amazing illustrator as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Trying to think of all the <laughs> mind goes blank. Um, <laughs> I'd also I, I'd love to have um, a graphic novel section as well because I think that's a really good. Yeah. Uh, we're saying about sort of capturing children's attention, and often you get kind of reluctant mm-hmm. readers who will pick up a graphic novel instead. Um, and there's some really mm-hmm. good ones coming out now, kind of aimed at children. There's um, well, Heartstopper, like I said, for for older children maybe. Um, yeah. And there's one a series called Amulet, which is like a amazing. It's kind of a bit of fancy, bit of sci-fi. Um, okay. A bit of magic. Those are really good. Um, and and my favourite one I've read recently is one, it's called Lightfall. Um, Lightfall. By, uh, Lightfall, yeah, by Tim Prober, I think is is the author illustrator um, of those. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just the, the artwork in those is amazing. Um, yeah. And and manga, my my son, he, he kind of doesn't really enjoy reading books so much anymore. But he, he will pick up a manga and read it. So I think that's also, also mm. a good way, good way to hook children in. Um, he likes yeah, My Hero Academia and um, yeah, I can't remember any of the others, but it, yeah. So I, I you have a, a broad range of of sort of mm-hmm. literature from different periods, and then different types of well, so graphic novels and manga and. And, and non-fiction yeah. as well, of course. Um, some children really like reading non-fiction, don't they? Um, yeah. Yeah. So when you talked about the classics, and you said the kind of roll doll, would you actually include uh, kind of things like Charles Dickens or maybe Jane Austen or anything like that? Or are you talking about kind of just um, kind of roll darling, Nid Blight and um, that sort of stuff? Would you have the, the, the kind of the, the Dickens classics, those sorts of ones? Um, I mean, I think it's good to, to include them. I did an event mm-hmm. recently and I was, I was just talking to the kids about, um, they were slightly older. They were kind of, sort of 12 to 14. Um, I was talking yeah. to them about what books they're reading. One of them said he was reading like the original uh, Sherlock Holmes books and he really enjoyed them. So, oh, yeah. um, yeah, so yeah. I think it's good to have them there, um, to, to look at and you can get kind of, um, you can get adapted versions, can't you as well? As a, kind yeah. of, as a way in maybe um and then have the the original there uh i mean it's like oliver twist is, is quite easy to read isn't it once you get into the yeah. kind of the style of vocabulary and the, the kind of elongated sentences and, and everything else um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah i think it's good to have it have it have a have it, have it, have it <clears> to see um yeah and get a sense of because it's part of our, our culture isn't it yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I said, when I was a kid, I think, certainly think um, Sherlock Holmes was one of my favourites, simply because I think they're really short, but also kind of really exciting. Um, I know that the, the Sherlock Holmes, the Hound of the Baskervilles is one of the things that we teach at my school, which I'm extremely excited about because it's one of my favourite um, books as a child. Um, but another one that um, that we have in our library, which is in the fantasy section, which I'm extremely happy about, is the Magician Short series um, by Ray and deficed which lots of the year 11s seem to take out um but there's also uh the the, because the fantasy section obviously i'm i'm the same with you i'm a very big fantasy fan so uh the the, the fantasy section now one is is full of the books that i've donated um because my wife's told me to get rid of them because we're just filling up the house with them so we also have the kind of magician series from trudy canavan uh we have I can't remember the name of the author, but the Dwarves series um, as well, which is great. But also we've got three different 
Lord of the Rings books one with lots of illustrations, the original illustrations in there. Um, that can that has to stay in the library, but we also have two other ones which are out regularly. Um, but certainly a, a wide variety of of ones just there. I I agree with you with the Sophie Anderson ones. The which that's that's a good question. What is what which one of the Sophie Anderson ones are your favourite? Um, I know that um, the house with the chicken legs is my uh, daughter's favourite. But what about you? Have you have you have you got a favourite from the Sophie Anderson books? Um, I think that was that was the, my first one of hers I, I read. So yeah, I, like, I really like that one. And the girl who speaks bear is is great as well. Yeah. Um, you know, the house with chicken legs is amazing, and it's been adapted into a a, a stage show. I think I'm going to go see it with my children yeah. in, in half term. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's yeah, great, that's cool. Yeah, Brilliant a way of writing. Oh yes, absolutely. I agree. This is certainly someone that captivates your attention. Um, and also, I, I, I think um, on Charlie Rowe, first I think another one that I would include in a school library as well. I think she actually writes uh, some amazing books. But obviously, um, being slightly biased here because I, I, I kind of love your books, I also put the, the Podkin series. They're all gone. I've read them and then they've gone straight into kind of the library. So there's a section there with with your books in our library, certainly. <laughs> oh, um, thank you. Thank you. Um, in terms of uh, nonfiction, because um, I was talking to this with some librarians a couple of weeks ago uh, in the non-fiction section. Um, do you think there is um, specific books which should be in the non-fiction section? So, for instance, um, in order to do to, to kind of like creative writing books on how to on how to write or um, books on maybe how to to kind of um, uh, to supercharge your imagination or what that, that sort of books is there anything that you would include in the non-fiction section which you think is essential um i did see because i mean usually books like that are quite dry aren't they but there have been some really good ones out yeah. lately um i think andy jones did a really good one about um writing stories and just kind of exercises and games you can do to, to create stories and characters mm -hmm. and it was presented yeah. in a really in a really fun kind of way really graphic um mm -hmm. There's a book that I, I use quite a lot um, by Jeff Vandermeer. It's called The Wonder Book, and it's all yeah. about how to build your own fantasy world um, and different right, approaches okay. to that. Um, that's really useful. Mm -hmm. And then there's loads of, I mean, there's loads of um, on how to kind of how to draw books on this and how to draw comics and how to draw comic strips, um, which yeah. is, kids really love, you know, um, how to draw things are really popular, aren't they? There's lots of, I know my children go on YouTube a lot and do drawing tutorials and things but yeah um okay that's brilliant okay thank you very much right we're just going to have uh, one more advert and then we're going to come back to you and we're going to talk about your final question uh, because obviously having an author on the the show uh, we can't not go without talking about writing uh, so i'll be back in a minute teaching is a rewarding profession but it comes with its fair share of challenges that's where adapt come in we're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes EDAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support, whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. 
Join the thousands of educators who've chosen ADAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at adapt.org.uk today. ADAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. And welcome back to Teacher Talk Radio with Kieran Larwood um, talking everything reading. So, uh, Kieran, um, a question about writing then. So obviously being a teacher um, and having a year 11 class and having a bunch of students that have about 45 minutes um, to write either a description or a story, um, which is a very small amount of time to actually come up with something considering the amount of time it actually takes to write these things. Um, If you could give them advice uh, about writing a, a good story, a good description, creating a character. Um, kind of what what would those things be? What what advice would you give to students with only forty five minutes to write? Um, yeah, that's a really short amount of time, isn't it? I mean, um, mm. not so much just for the writing, but just having an, an idea sometimes can take hours and hours. Um, so what I usually do um, when I'm writing a scene is um, I'm quite a visual kind of person. So I usually yeah. kind of see it in my mind's eye um, mm-hmm. and then just describe it as I'm, as I'm seeing it, if that makes sense. So a bit like, yes. you know, when you're watching a film, maybe the opening credits, and there's usually a, kind of like a slow pan across the, the setting, just setting the, yeah. the whole atmosphere for the film. And, and, you know, and you can see details that might be reflected in the story there. Um, I just mm-hmm. imagine that my mind's doing that. And then, write it as as that's happening so you know so you're trying to make the reader's mind follow the follow your eye um and yeah. take everything in um and also the good thing about writing is it's not just visual because you've got uh, all the other senses there that you can bring into it as well so don't forget to to talk about what the, your narrator or character can hear what they can feel uh, what can they can yeah. smell or taste mm-hmm. even um and just kind of really create that image in the reader's eye um yeah and just you know there's lots of things you can do with language as well i mean um mm-hmm. when i was kind of uh, my early days of writing i used to um practice writing a lot of poetry um yeah awful poetry but <laughs> um <laughs> it's a skill of of taking an idea and kind of and condensing it into just a few words um it's really yeah. useful for description because you know if you can say something in a few words and, and capture it um it's much more powerful than you know making taking a whole paragraph um mm-hmm. stephen king's written a brilliant book called on writing which describes how you know the best yeah. authors um could describe a person just with it with like three words and that's it you've got that yeah. person you, you can see them you, you, you know you can understand them um so yeah just kind of punchy descriptions um kind of use use your poet skills poetic skills to kind of really encapsulate things in as few words as Mm -hmm. possible i think um yeah yeah and just always be conscious that you know you're kind of painting a picture in the reader's mind and how can you do that as effectively especially if you've got if you've got 45 minutes you know (laughs) you've got time to kind of spend five pages writing about Mm -hmm. three (laughs) you know yeah um, so when you, when you when you said you visualize um the kind of the the scene in front of you um would you then uh, kind of uh, kind of jot down the things that you see or do you just 
literally write the sentences as you visualize it in your mind so what i what i like to do is i like to um but see it in my mind and then i like to kind of my first draft is usually in my head before i even start writing i'll kind of go through what what i'm going to say in my head so i kind of think it through and then when i when i start writing i like it to be more of a kind of quite fluent like almost like a stream of consciousness you know so you're just kind of letting the words come out and seeing what happens um i think that's that's the most interesting rather than kind of kind of agonizing over each sentence yeah just kind of like getting on the paper and then looking at it and sometimes you see something that that surprises you and and works really well and then you can you know once it's down you can you can use that um and expand on it you know yeah I mean, obviously, when it when it comes to characters, um, because one of the things that we do as teachers is we try to say to them, you know, if you haven't got a character that people can kind of um, um, bond with, that, that people like, uh, then the, it kind of your writing becomes quite stale quite quickly. Um, if you had to create maybe a character, uh, someone that's going to be the centre of that attention, the centre of that narration, um what would be what's a good way to do that in a in a very short space of time um i think well i mean as human beings we we all have um a lot in common don't we we have kind of archetypical thoughts and feelings and and experiences that we've all kind of been through like we've all you know we've all been lonely we've all been scared we've all been um yeah. excited so you know and take what's happened to you um and use it to kind of fill out your character because readers will have experienced the same thing. So they will understand, you know, and it makes your character more human. If, if something's happened to them, which the reader can, you know, relate to, um, mm-hmm. Relatability, yeah. 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 And, you know, it's not always good to plan stereotypes, but you, you know, if you're, if you're trying to capture somebody really, really quickly, you can, you can use that to your advantage and then maybe twist it later yeah. on. Um, you know, but, you know, use things that kind of things, there's, there's like a, an unspoken language in there in films, you know, if you see somebody yeah. um, with, their, with their collar up and a, and a hat pulled lower of their eyes on a, on a misty night, they're up to no good. You know, so you can use kind of cues yeah. that you've seen as well. Um, and again, later on, you know, as you expand it, you can, you can subvert it and twist it. But it, these are all good things. If you're trying to set something up really quickly, you can use mm-hmm. to your advantage. Yeah. I think certainly, um, I think one of the, the best proponents of using stereotypes is David Williams. I don't think there's a single book of his without a bunch of stereotypes in them. Um, so um, in in terms of uh, the, the characters themselves, do you have uh, a, a kind of a favourite character? I know that obviously um, uh, Bilbo Baggins, maybe in The Hobbit, might be kind of up there with one of your favourite characters. But of all the characters um, that you've seen and um, in all of the books that you've read, is is there a a, a, a favourite character that you've got, um, a favourite kind? And, and why would that be your favourite character? What is it about that character that kind of brought it alive for you? Um, quirky. Um, <laughs> there's lots. There's loads. Of, um, um, I I always like I always like characters that are kind of a bit rebellious and a bit kind of um, yeah, kind of cheeky. There was a, a book I yeah. loved when I was when I was young called The Borables by Michael De Larabiti, uh, and it was all yeah. about Borables where anyone could become a Borable. There, there were children who kind of got into trouble and ran away from home. Yeah, uh, and then they became Borables. Their ears, their ears became pointy, and they became like this little race of, of Borables. They lived all around London in, in these different tribes. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, and, they, 
they were like lived in in old derelict buildings and things, and and they the tribes were always battling against each other. And um, yeah, the characters in that book are amazing because they're all yeah they're all little rebels. They're all kind of um, yeah cheeky, cunning, um, crafty. Yeah, they really they really stood out to me. I think definitely. Okay, cool. That's brilliant. So um, I really loved. Um, and it, it kind of threw me a little bit because I thought writing poetry might be something, but writing poetry in order to take an idea and condense it, I think, is is a is a great. It's it's something I've just been I've just been pondering over a great way of planning um, something. So kind of write a poem about the thing you're going to write about first to condense your idea into this really small, compact piece of vocabulary. Um, so do you do you still do that or is was is that just something that you, that you used to do is is that is that something you still do uh i don't do it anymore but i what i did i think yeah early on i used to use it to kind of help with my description and now it's become uh, the way i describe things so i think about mm-hmm. something and then i you know think about how if it was a poem how would i i put it in a poem kind of thing how can i describe yeah. this in a the best way in a, in a kind of an original way but the way that just mm-hmm. you know, absolutely sums it up. Um, I think you know, poetry kind of teaches you to to think outside the box, really. You know, and, and because there's no mm-hmm. rules, you can you can do anything. You can mess around with words and language. Um, and I often like um, a bit like Edward Lear used to do, just every now and then, just making up a word that just you know, yeah. there isn't a word to describe. You can make one up, usually kind of onomatopoeic mm-hmm. or something like that. But just you know, just play around with the language and make it kind of playful and exciting and fun. Mm. And I think po- the skills in poetry really help you to do that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, um, Roald Dahl is, was certainly an exponent of, of making words up. Um, some of the best words have come from, <laughs> from Roald Dahl, I think. Um, so um, the, the one last thing in terms of reading. Um, lots of kids nowadays are kind of turning to, which we've discussed earlier about e-readers and and how uh, children's minds are kind of constantly needing to be stimulated. Um, obviously, your children are readers, um, my children are readers, but there are lots of children out there that aren't. Is there any way that, that, that you think would be a good way of getting uh, kind of school children into, into reading more? Um, I think just, I mean... Just sharing books with them, I think. I mean, I know a lot yeah. of the curriculum. Um, I'm quite familiar with the, with the, the primary curriculum, and especially yeah. Key Stage Two nowadays is just completely focused on Sats, isn't it, and, and grammar and, yeah. and everything else. Um, mm-hmm. So I think certainly on Twitter, I've become involved with lots of people who are, are kind of really proponents of this reading for pleasure, and just yeah. making time in school. Forget about. Don't analyze this. Don't write. You know, a sentence about it just read it and hear it and enjoy it um and just reading to the children i think um and just showing them that books are fun you know and and talking to them about oh i've read this book the other day it's amazing and you know i think because uh, teachers are such role models aren't they and if they if, even if they're not going to get yeah. home if the children can see teachers getting enthused about these new books that are coming out and and you know just getting the bug for reading um it's going to mm. have a really big impact i think Okay, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And certainly one thing that um, uh, teachers and parents can take on board, you know, share the book, share that love of books, you know, make people understand how great reading can actually be. 
so uh, as much as I hate to admit it, we're coming to kind of the end of the show and it's been, it's, it's, I don't want it to be the end of the show because I've really enjoyed talking to you and talking everything books. Um, it's been brilliant. Um, finding out all about your kind of, um, how your childhood and the reading that you've done and we've talked about uh, kind of libraries and the books that you put in there and I've got lots of notes um, with Sophie Anderson, M.G. Leonard, Emma Carroll, um, Jamie Littler I think was the other one uh, with lots of uh, graphic novels that you talked about and also your fantastic advice um, for the students which I'm certainly going to share with my year 11s uh, when I see them on Monday morning about visualizing it and using poetry to 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 use that and create that that sense of language and playing around with language because poetry doesn't really have any rules to it so Kieran thank you so much for joining us tonight it's been such a pleasure talking to you uh, especially considering <laughs> that i'm a huge fan of yours um and as i said it's it's certainly great to talk to you and some of the advice that you've given and some of the talk you said about the books and the library and some of the books that you'd love has been invaluable and certainly i hope would be invaluable to teachers thinking about how to fill their library up so thank you well, thank you for having me it's been a pleasure okay right so that's the end of the show folks uh, thank you ever so much for listening i hope you enjoyed it and i will see you again in two weeks you've been listening to teachers talk radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from you next time on teachers talk radio